Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Well, let me uh, let me say this. We begin today. I am bothered in my no. I was going to say spirit. I'm really irritated in my flesh today. And for those of you who know that there's or don't know, there's a, there's two parts of us really: our our old nature, our carnal nature, and the part of us that has been made alive in Christ by his resurrection, introduction through the Holy Spirit. And uh, that one part of me, the part that's dead, is really feeling agitated, irritated today because I feel like what is right in front of us is, is looking ominous. And some of the things that I see even in our church body, they, they bother me. And I know better. I know better than to, than to let emotions rule or to let presumption rule. But I have to say that uh, what the Spirit of God spoke to me today was that, you know, to, the reminder that this is just a veil. It's a, it's a cardboard structure that we simply need to press through and push into. And I want to encourage you this morning. You know, yeah, we had a great service last week. And for those of you who received uh, prayer at the end of the service and allowed me to pray over you corporately, I trust that this week you had a marked difference in your life and your prayer time and, and your moving forward. And I trust that you, you remembered uh, the encounter you had with God last Sunday. But last Sunday is last Sunday, and frankly, it doesn't matter anymore. By the way, yesterday doesn't matter anymore. Now, there might be consequences from your yesterday that will catch up with you. There might also be blessing from yesterday that will catch up with you. But as far as it depends on you, yesterday is gone, right? All right, so today is a new day, and today the mercies of God were new to you this morning because that's the amazing thing about what he does, and tomorrow they will be too. But for today, would you just receive what the Holy Spirit has, what he wants to say to you this morning through this message? Um, this is one of the messages where, honestly, I don't step up here behind the, the, we used to say the pulpit, but you can't really call this a pulpit. Um, I stand in front of you today not exactly confident in my, in, my, in my sermon. And not that it's not full of Scripture, and not that it's not, uh, not, not, not going to be appropriate. It's just that we're talking about passion. And right now in our world, especially in the body of Christ in our province, there is a lot of passion. But a lot of it is misdirected. A lot of it is inappropriate. And a lot of it is just simply misunderstood. And today I hope that as we look at the life of Peter, the Apostle Peter, just a little bit, you'll understand a little bit more about how maybe we can respond and move through these days that we're in right now. Um, So I'm going to take that opportunity to address a couple of things in this one message, which normally doesn't work out too well because it gets a little too uh, fragmented. But I want to address this because I see a lot of it. There's a lot of people in the body of Christ, presumably in the body of Christ, or they're just pretending to be in the body of Christ, perhaps. They're an admirer, not a follower of Jesus, who are throwing 1 Peter 2, 13 to 15 around. And 1 Peter 2, 13 is the verse that says, subject yourself to earthly authorities. Now, what I want to talk about today matters because, because Peter did write that, but Peter wrote that from a place of passion that very few of us will ever understand. He wrote it from a position of of where literally people were being persecuted to death for their faith. He wrote it for people who were stepping out of that and into true liberty for the first time. And so we need to understand a better part of the context 
before we at Generations Church start stamping our feet and insisting we're right. Is that okay? All right? And I know none of you are really truly stamping your feet and insisting you're right. Um, that, that's, that's, that's not something you're doing, I hope. But i got to say this, uh, the passion of Peter, let's look through that as a lens this morning. Peter has to be one of the most interesting figures of the Bible. Emotionally turbulent, to say the least. Uh, Peter, the fisherman who became a fisher of men. Peter, who chopped off the ear of the servant of the high priest in the garden because they came to arrest Jesus. That passionate Peter, who just a few hours later denied Jesus three times in a row and ran away like a scared little puppy dog. Um... That Peter was familiar with suffering, as were, by the way, all of the apostles and the early church. The early church knew what suffering was, and again, suffering, that word, the, the root word of suffering as we talk about it, goes patheos, pathemos, but it goes to this, this ancient root word, pasco, and that word describes passion as suffering. Now, that doesn't mean that all suffering is bad. Because again, as we said last week, when the Greeks used that word, they weren't using it in a good or a bad sense. Just to maybe pull this back into perspective for you as a reminder, it's interesting to me that when the Bible uses the word passion, most of the time it's, it's pointing out to us that our passion is in the wrong direction. It's the passion for the lusts of the flesh, passion for the things of this world, right? And we are willing to suffer for those. I mean, some of you will suffer horrible jobs to drive a nice looking truck. Right? And, and in a way, that's a, that's a, I would say, a very shallow form of passion. Uh, now, just because Tyson is driving a new truck does not mean he has an idol in his life. I just want to say, because you guys have noticed maybe, he's not driving the old beater plumbing truck anymore. He's, got, he, he, he's been blessed to step up a little bit, and that's okay. But I'm talking about the kind of people who live their life for things. And surely not anyone, no one in this room is going to say, oh, that's me, I need to reform right now. You're not going to say that because you don't want to believe it about yourself. But we all have passion that's misdirected. And so let's just gain a little perspective this morning from, uh, first of all, the book of Acts. Because Peter was familiar with suffering, not because people were mean to him, but because they arrested him, jailed him, beat him, tried to kill him. That kind of suffering. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 20, says this. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest interrogated them, saying, We gave you strict orders. Somebody say orders. Strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. That was the name of Jesus, of course. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Pause. Sorry, chief priests who are interrogating the disciples. The blood of Jesus is already upon you, and what you need to do is accept it. Okay? But Peter and the apostles answer, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they became infuriated and nearly decided to execute them. That is pretty mad. Like, I've been so mad where I would say, like, ah, I want to strangle you. But I've never come nearly to strangling someone. You know what I'm saying? Not these guys. These guys were ready to have them executed. But then a Pharisee named Gamaliel 
A teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, be careful as to what you are about to do with these men. For some time ago, Theatus appeared, claiming to, be some, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined him, but he was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, appeared in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He also perished. And all those who followed him were scattered. And so in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if the source of, of this plan or a movement is men, it will be overthrown. But if the source is God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. So they followed his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not stop teaching and preaching the good news of Jesus as the Christ." In the early church, it was a common practice. When you spoke out against the religious institution, when you spoke out against the government, perceived or real in your speaking out, this was often the treatment that people could receive. They could receive scourging. And a scourging, by the way, is, uh, in tradition was 39 strokes with the scourging whip, and 40 was known to kill a man. So this is when the Apostle Paul even refers to a number of times, I received the 39 stripes, the 39 scourging. That's what they're talking about, because this was a common practice. So they were beaten within one stroke of their life, if you can just permit it to be thought of that way today. Why? Well, because they were preaching Jesus raised from the dead. They were preaching gospel. They were preaching salvation to anyone who would listen, and that irritated a lot of people. Now, if you've ever tried to preach the gospel to people or share the gospel with people, you'll find that there are really two kinds of people, those who are willing to listen and those who get really mad. It's been my personal experience. There are those who will listen. Some change, some don't. And there are those who just meet you with hatred and anger. And I'd say that's what they encountered a lot of. And that's some of what we encounter today as a church. But nonetheless, we need to follow the wisdom of the apostles and continually preach the name of Jesus no matter what. We need to speak the name of Jesus no matter what. We need to reach out in the name of Jesus to others no matter what. Now that wasn't the only time I want to share with you another part of Peter's passion. And this one was a little more serious. Now, Peter was eventually put to death. He eventually was killed. Um, but it wasn't in Acts 12 either where this happened. It says in Acts 12, Now, about that time, Herod the king, Herod Agrippa he was known as, laid hands on some who belonged to the church to do them harm. And he, and J he had James, the brother of John, executed with a sword. And when he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter as well. And this was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had arrested him, he put him in prison, turning him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending only after the Passover to bring him before the people, at which time he was planning on executing him. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made to God intensely by the church. That's a good thing, right? 
if I ever get arrested for anything, please pray for me. I'm not planning on getting arrested. I'm not planning on insurrection or rebellion. I'm just saying, if your leaders, your pastors are ever arrested, you need to pray for them because these things are common, not in Canada, at least not yet, but they are common in other places in the world like China where presently thousands upon thousands of church leaders and pastors are being imprisoned for refusing to stop preaching the gospel. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near Peter, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter, uh, Peter's side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. Now let's just pause there for a second, because uh, here's how this would go down for some of you. Some of you would not, even though you're in chains, would not appreciate being kicked in the side. Now I know it says struck him in the side, but just so you know, like in the Greek, Hebrew, Whatever I'm saying it is right now, trust me, struck means hit. I, I, didn't, I didn't even do a word search on it to know that. <laughs> struck means hit, kicked. Maybe it was with a stick, a staff. Maybe he reached out and punched him in the rib. Maybe he kicked him in the rib. I don't know. But the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, struck him and said, get up. So if you're a teenager and you ever find your father standing over your bed, just remember, it's biblical. Biblical. The angel said, get up quickly. And his chains immediately fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, put on your belt and strap on your sandals. And he did so. And the angel said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow and yet did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Now, when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. And from, all the, and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where there were many gathered together and praying. When he knocked on the door of the gate, a slave woman named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. So that's something my daughter Annika would do. She'd be so excited about the good news that she'd forget to, like, let me in. Be standing outside waiting still. Um, they said to her, you're out of your mind, but she kept insisting that it was so. And then they said, well, then it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. He motioned to them with his hand to be silent, described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brothers. Then he left and went to another place. Now, just for time, I'm going to give you a little more of a summation of how the rest of this story goes to get to where we need to be today. Of course, this was an issue for the prison guards who were not dealt with mercifully, to say the least. Um, Herod was angry. Herod, uh, Herod did not want to acknowledge God. And Herod was not a good king. 
And ultimately, Herod received a compliment. The people, he made a decision and the people started saying, this man's voice is the voice of God. And Herod didn't stop them. So the Lord struck him down. That's how the story of Herod Agrippa ends. And the Bible says that in verse 23, and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. And then here's the part that I want you to take home. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. The word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. Why am I sharing this with you in this way? Because we need to understand that God will meet us in our suffering. God will meet us in our passion. God will meet us in our present. Whatever your present might be, your reality today, there is a Father in heaven who made you and who loves you and wants to meet you in this place. God does not want to meet with you next Sunday when he can meet with you today. God does not want to wait till Monday morning to meet with you. God wants to meet with you right now. God doesn't want to, God doesn't want to set up uh, like you go to your doctor and say, I need an appointment, and, and the doctor's office tells you, well, we can get you in in four and a half weeks. No, God wants an appointment now. 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 Because I think we need to understand and remember that when we talk about passion, God is far more passionate and has suffered far more for us than we will ever be able to for him. And for that reason, we need to remember that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because that throne, is he sits on that throne. That is his throne to be on, that throne of grace. And it dispenses to us all that we need for the hour that we're in as a church, for the hour that you're in as a parent, for the hour that you're in as a witness, for the hour that you're in as a teenager or a child in a home. There's grace, there's mercy, there's provision, there is divine unmerited favor for wherever you're at. And that divine unmerited favor may show up in an encouraging word. It may show up with an, as an angel letting you out of a prison cell. But what we need to understand is that God's passion for us is great. His desire for us to see his word go forward, to see people set free, is greater than ours. God meets us in our suffering for him because that is his passion to meet us in the place of suffering, in the place of passion. Don't read the Scripture without understanding the passion of all those who wrote Scripture. It wasn't flippant. It wasn't lighthearted. It wasn't, it wasn't something they just got up one day and said, you know what, I think I'm going to write a book of the Bible. They wrote under the unction of the Holy Spirit. What would that be like? Can you imagine trying to write the Bible? I feel like I'm supposed to write a lot of things down, and it's the hardest thing for me to do. Because once I start writing it, I don't like how it looks, and so I start over, and I, I just keep doing the same paragraph for 100 years or something like that. But can you imagine the intense pressure of the Holy Spirit in someone's life when they have to write the God-breathed Scripture? See, there's a level of passion that we have to discover yet as 
the church of Jesus in this day. We don't know the passion of the generations that have gone before us. Because the passion was in pockets and the passion maybe was small. The passion wasn't really revealed. We have to go back 120 years at this point to really get back to some of the greater moves of God that were happening in North America and and Europe in those days. The days of Spurgeon and Wigglesworth and McPherson. All of these men and women of God who were so passionate about the mission of God in this world that they denied everything else to pursue His call for their life. And they saw people healed. And they saw the dead raised. And they saw miracles happen that no one could explain. John G. Lake, during the plague that was there in his life, I don't even remember which plague it was at this point, was criticized by officials in the cities and the governments and in the health system of his day because they were the only ones willing to go in and bring bodies out of the houses to stop the spread of the plague that the world was under at that time. And they all said, you're an idiot, you're a fool, you're going to die. But Pastor Lake and the people in his church proved to be immune to the plague. They even did a scientific study on them and found that when the microbes that were causing the illness touched John G. Lake under a microscope, they saw saw them die. I'm getting to where we need to go. Just hang with me. Guys, where we direct our passion is today matters greatly on whether or not it's lined up with God's passion. You can claim to be a freedom fighter. You can claim to be uh, right about COVID killing people. You can, whatever your position might be doesn't really matter that much to me. What needs to matter the most is that what we do, we are doing purely for the glory of God. Purely for the glory of God. Not to save ourselves, but for His glory, for the furtherance of His kingdom, so that people will know His love, so that people will know He came to set captives free. You see, that gospel will be countered by the prince of this world. It was then, and it will be now. And you are kidding yourself if you deny that there is a spirit of Antichrist moving in the cloud of COVID and fear and political imbalance in the world right now. You're kidding yourself if you don't know and see a spirit of Antichrist working against the church. But we are not intimidated by what the spirit of Antichrist is doing in the world. Why? Because we've not been given a spirit of intimidation or fear. But we've been given a a spirit, the Bible says, of power, of love, and of sound mind. Somebody say, sound mind. Okay, I'm really tired of people who claim to be following Jesus who are looking, acting, and talking crazy. Because that's, Jesus didn't give you a spirit of intimidation or fear. He gave you a spirit of power. Okay, not all of us know that, but he did. And if you let your passion grow, maybe your power would grow. That would preach all by itself today, but he gave us a spirit of love. Well, yeah, Pastor Trav, we know he gave us love because, like, God is love. Yeah, you're still not getting it. 
It's way deeper, way bigger than that. And he gave you a spirit of having a sound mind. Wisdom. The ability to see a problem and understand the two parts of the problem and then with the guidance of the Holy Spirit know how to walk through the problem. And what I see right now is a lot of people building their fortresses on either side of issues and planning on camping there. I want to tell you, Jesus does not want you camping on either side of an issue right now. Jesus wants you to be moving into the battlefield and helping save people's lives. doesn't matter what their opinion is. doesn't matter what their expression is. It doesn't matter who they think they are or what they think they are. What matters is, is those folks were created in the image of God and need a Savior, and you as the hands and feet of Jesus are supposed to bring the gospel to their hearts. If you need to take down the walls of your fortress, by all means, take them down. And get into the battlefield, not to win an argument. Not to, not to prove that you're theologically superior to someone else, but to go to the one and share the love of Jesus with them. Let me just say this with that. If you need to wear a mask to do that, then wear a stinking mask to do it. And if wearing a mask is going to offend someone who needs Jesus, take off your mask and have faith in Jesus and talk to the person who will be offended by your mask because Jesus doesn't care about masks. Just think with a heavenly perspective, my friends. Think with the eternal perspective because we are not called to live our life as though it will end and be the end of all things in this earth. We are called to live on this earth with heaven in mind and with the things of the future in front of us. We set our eyes on the prize. We set our eyes on the end of the race. We set our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, and we move constantly towards him in this life for that is the thing we're called to do. If that doesn't stir up passion in you, I urge you to fall to your knees and beg Jesus to light a fire in your heart. Be mad, but be mad in the right direction. Be angry and don't sin, the Bible says. Now let's get to this. First Peter chapter 2 business. Again, you, you can't make up your mind about what we should be doing in this day if your passion isn't in check. I want you to remember that as we read First Peter chapter 2, 13 to 20, that Peter's letter is not written without the experience of going against rulers and authorities. He's not making... He's not presenting his, his suppositions out of inexperience, but rather out of deep experience. 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, everyone say the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God. That by doing right, you silence the ignorance of foolish people. And just so you know, that's where everybody is stopping today. But that's not where the thought ends. 
It goes on to say, act as free people. What? How come nobody's posting that on Facebook? That doesn't mean go against authority. It means act as free people. And so, do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondservants of God. And we see a lot of this right now. Those who say, I'm going to act as a free person because I'm a free person, but what it really is is a cover for them to do whatever their flesh desires. That is far from godly. And it is wrong. It is immoral. It is unethical to use freedom to bring bondage. That is not the church. That is not the heart of Jesus. That is the pattern of the carnal man. Verse 17, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are harsh. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person endures grief when suffering unjustly, For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you will patiently endure it, and this finds favor with God. Guys, if your motive is impure in whatever you're doing, it's not right. Give you a little bit of uh, Bible college uh, introduction to ethics. Many people would say they believe that the ends justify the means, but that is not true. We've seen humanity try to have the ends justify the means many times. Many of these lockdowns are the philosophy of, well, the end will justify the means. You you should be able to see that. Here's the way it's supposed to work in the heart of a believer in the kingdom of God. The ends can be justified by the means, but the means have to justify themselves. In other words, a righteous ending is good, but it can't be a righteous ending unless the act to bring it there was a righteous act. So your actions have to be aligned rightly to produce righteousness in the end. Can I break it down one step simpler for you? Whatever your position is today on any of the issues we're facing in our world, whether they be the more current in the center of the light ones, or whether it's something you're struggling with in learning about the Bible, if your motive is not aligned with the Holy Spirit of God, if your motives are not being conformed to the will of Jesus, you're not going to see it straight enough to make a right decision. You're not. Because it requires virtuous means to come to a virtuous end. And there is only one being in all that has been created that is capable of that. And he is the one who created all of it. He is just. Period. He is kind. Period. And so if we want to, he is love, period. Do you get where I'm going? He is holy, period. He is faithful, period. These are the virtues, the attributes of who God is, and he is those attributes. They are him. And so if we want to live through this 
stage of life in our world and be effective witnesses, then who do we need to be like? Well, we need to be like our Father. And we need to work His Word into our lives in such a way that we can move through the problems that are in front of us today and reach a righteous end by a righteous means. Where does that start? Well, it starts with the willingness to be passionate, to suffer. To suffer through some research, to suffer through some reading, to suffer through some prayer before you make your mind up. I just want to open this passage up a wee bit more, and I'm really out of time, so we'll end with this. Act as free people. Eleutheros. Free. Eleutheros means free, not a slave, not under restraint, delivered from obligation. When the Bible says live as, act as free people, Free means not a slave, not under restraint, delivered from the obligation. Be free. Christian, be free from guilt. Be free from second guessing. Be free from the condemnation that tries to railroad and run over everyone right now. Be free from that. What about honor? Well, Pastor Trav, it does say that we got to honor the king. It says we got to honor all people. Yes, we do. And here's what the word honor means tamao, not tomato, but tamao. It says to fix the value or to price something out. What you have to do to honor people is establish that value. That's what it means to honor, to establish a value. Think about this. How does this work to honor someone? Do we always honor people for, for what they do? No, we can't. I can't honor a thief for righteousness because they've stolen. But how can I honor someone who has done wrong? How can I honor a wicked person? Well, I, I don't even have to establish the value. God has already established a value. They're created in His image. Come on. What does it mean to honor authority? understanding that authority is established by God, yes, to punish wickedness, but also to reward righteousness, which we don't always see a lot of. We're to honor that which God has established because God has placed an identity upon the things that he's established. Whether it be a government or whether it be a person. But each has already been predetermined that they are, in fact, valuable. 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 They're valuable. But there is a fixed value on that. See, when you understand this, it begins to take away the moral high ground people want to establish. Well, this person going through this thing is of greater value than everyone else. That's not true. It's not true. Men and women created in the image of God or men and women created in the image of God. People are created in the image of God. And because of that, they have, inherit, they have an inherent value. 
And it's far higher than you think it is. Trust me. But their issue doesn't make them more or less value. you. <laughs> it's true. It doesn't. My issue, my pain, those things are real. And they matter. They matter to my creator. They matter to Jesus. But it doesn't change my value. And it should not change my or your perceived value of another. That's what it means to honor. Love the brethren. Well, I hope I don't need to expound on that for you. It's agape. Love the brethren. What are the brethren? They're the brothers and sisters of Christ. Love the family of God. Love them. Because not only do they have the inherent value of being created by God, they're also bound with you into the fellowship of Christ by his suffering. And therefore, as brothers and sisters in Christ, they are worthy of and deserving of your agape to the best of your abilities. And then here is the one I'm going to suggest to you that is more important than all the others. Fear God. Fear God. Honor authority. Love brothers. Honor all people. But fear God. What's the Greek word for Fearing God? Phobio. Yeah. I don't really need to explain that much further either, do I? Phobia. The word that we derive all fears from. Just think about this for a moment. Phobio, phobeo, God. <laughs> it's translated fear, dread, Reverence, I am afraid, terrified, frightened, to put to flight. Fear God. Fear God. We, we, we need, church, to live in a holy fear of God. A holy fear of His reverence, a holy fear of His power. A holy fear of his love for us, yes. I, I don't know if it was Nathan Finocchio or whoever posted this, but it, in the past few weeks it's come by in, in Facebook, and maybe you've seen it too as a meme. The angels cry, holy, 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 not love, love, love. You see, love is what it is because God is holy, just in case you're wondering. That's why love is what it is. Because God is holy. So what are we to do? Passion. Suffering. Honor. Phobio. I think it was the bubonic plague in Martin Luther's lifetime. Is that right, Tyler? It was bubonic, that's right. I just want to read to you today because I, I hope that it will help you just a little. Here's what Luther wrote concerning his day. Use medicine. Take potions, which can help you. Fumigate house, yard, street. And shun persons and places where your neighbor does not need your presence or has recovered. 
and act like a man who wants to help put out the burning city. What else is the epidemic but a fire which, instead of consuming wood, straw, devouring, wood and straw, devours life and body? You ought to think this way. Very well, by God's decree, the enemy has sent us poison and deadly offal. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid persons and places where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus, perchance, infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible either for my own death or the death of others. And there are many in the church today who would say, see, I told you so. But here's how Luther finishes his statement. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, I will go freely as stated above. You guys, this is, this is a statement that maybe aligns best of all the things I've read with where we would try to see wisdom as a church. A pandemic, epidemic, whatever it is we're in, it is what it is. It's as real as it is. And the implications that are spinning off of it are of grave concern. And it's for that reason that we think about the things we do. That's the reason why we should be thinking about it. I'm not against you if you feel the need to stand up and make a political statement about your agreement or disagreement. In fact, the system of politics is created in such a way as you have the privilege and the right to be able to do that. And you should. You should voice your concern to the government and to those who rule over us, but not more than you're praying for them. For every letter you write, how much more should you be praying? And as a place to start, I'm going to tell you twice as much. If it takes, if it takes you an hour to write a letter to, to Tracy Allard or Travis Taves, who are our local MLAs, then you should be spending two hours praying for them. Just so you know, our political opinions will not change Canada. Jesus will. And you standing by silently will not bring Jesus to our nation. Neither will you making enemies everywhere. But what will bring Jesus to our nation? When your neighbor is in need, you will abandon everything to go to them like Jesus. That is a righteous act that will produce a righteous end. It's not easy to figure out what to do. It's not easy to align our passion 
with the Holy Spirit all the time either. But there is a process that you can enter into that will allow you to know the heart of God. And the process is actually simply just being the follower of Jesus. Learning to hear Him, learning to know His voice, learning to act and respond to the things He says to do, having the courage to try, having the grace for yourself, receiving His grace for yourself to receive correction when you get it wrong. That's the process. And we just have forgotten that process is so valuable. We're the, we're the microwave popcorn generation. You press popcorn on your microwave, and it just happens. And that's not what God's doing. Guys, God is reworking a passion in his church in North America, I believe right now. It's not a political passion. It's a passion for the lost. It's a passion to see miracles. It's a passion to see Jesus exalted and lifted high in the hearts of people. It's a passion to see, to see politicians come to faith in Christ. That's the passion. And it's hard, and it's going to be hard, and it'll continue to be hard until we get to whatever the end of this is. But of this I can be sure, I, and I hope we, will not stop sharing the good news of Jesus. We will not stop praying for the sick. We will not stop praying for those who lead us. We will not stop praying for those in need. We will not stop delivering food to our community. We will not stop offering services for those who are hopeless and lost. We will not withhold touch from those who need it. We will not withhold our presence from those who are hollow. Because righteous acts will have a righteous end. And what we need is the Spirit of God to endow us with wisdom to know the difference. So, is your passion aligned? You know, at the end of this service, the right song is, Oh, I need you, Jesus. <laughs> because I don't know about you. If I go and listen to this tomorrow morning again, I'll be like, Yep, I need Jesus. Just to understand what Pastor Trav was really trying to get at. I'd like us to stand and read the Word of God together before we're done. Invite the worship team to come. And I'm just going to read Romans 8, verse 18 together because it's vital. Let's read it. For I consider, all together now, for I consider that the suffering of this present times are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's read it again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know... Christine emailed me this week and 
wanted to know which translation. And I chose the NASB because I always, I always choose the NASB. But the NIV, I think this is worth noting. And just so you know, in the Greek, either is acceptable. But the NIV says, the glory that is to be revealed in us. Man, was I ever struggling. Which one? And I thought, well, I'll just take the time to explain that. Guys, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Just think about it. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. And Lord, concerning the time that we're in, we need your Holy Spirit to guide us into truth and wisdom. But Lord, even more, I pray that you would drive deeply into us a desire to pray, a desire to worship, a passion for your name to go into the world. Jesus, we need you, and we know our world needs you. That you are the one person who can bring alignment and righteousness and hope and peace to this mess of a world. And so, Lord, today we yield ourselves to you. We lay down our opinions. We lay down our tools that we've been using to build arguments. And we ask you to show us to show us a better way of building your kingdom. To show us a better way of building your body into the bride that you want it to be. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that we can come to you for grace in our time of need. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.